Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. This weekend, we have one of my favorite human beings on planet Earth. He is so much my favorite. I'm going to be speaking down in Tempe here in about uh, less than an hour, but I wanted to intro him uh, because he's my best friend on the planet. Many of you know him. Pastor Tim Ross is the senior pastor of Embassy City Church in Irving, Texas, which is about to celebrate their fifth anniversary here in a couple of weeks. Uh, he also just wrote his first book. And you know me. I don't, I don't push stuff. I don't publicize stuff. Uh, but one of the reasons I'm talking about this book is I believe in him and I believe in it that God gave it to him. Charisma wanted him to write a book 10 years ago. And the way that God wired both of us, he wasn't gonna write a book until God told him to, even if somebody offered him an opportunity to. And so the fact that he's finally written this book, which is a part of his life message, you can get on Amazon, you can buy it. We're gonna have it in our bookstore. It's actually sold out on Amazon. Uh, It's doing very well. And so make sure you're gonna hear part of it today in the message. But if you don't have a copy of it, make sure you get a copy of it, all right? I want you to do me a favor. I want you to welcome, in the greatest way, not because he's Jesus, but because he's family. All right? My best friend on planet Earth. We were separated from the womb until 12 years ago when we were reunited. I want you to give my best friend on planet Earth the warmest and most loving welcome we've ever given anybody. Would you please welcome my best friend, Pastor Tim Ross. Hey, y'all. I love you. I missed you. I'm so grateful to be here with you. So grateful. Uh, In fact, uh, I'm just super excited. This is my first time being in a church service with people since March of this year. It's been six months since I've been in a church service where there's actually some people here. So I love you. I'm so grateful that you actually came to church in person. I've been talking to an empty building for six months. I hear voices in my head. So grateful to be with you. Um, Honored to serve uh, today. If this is your very first time here and you've never been here in your life, um, I'm not Preston. Um, uh, Hope you're not disappointed. We are twin brothers. We are fraternal. He is taller. I have more hair. So just in case you needed to figure out, like, which one is which, um, that's how you tell. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, Preston mentioned uh, the book Upset the World. I'm going to be teaching from Scripture and Scripture that we turned into a book called Upset the World. And I feel like uh, there's something in it for every single person in this room. Uh, As he said, I just don't write books to be writing books. I felt like it was a burden that was on my life. But it was also my life message. And so I want to share from that. And uh, I want to give you some context before I get started. Uh, so if you're taking notes on this message, and you should take notes because nerds rule the world. How many nerds do we have in the building today? Yes, you rule 
the whole world. If you did not raise your hand, you work for a nerd. So just in case you didn't know what happens to those that don't raise their hand. All right, so if you're taking notes on this message, please write this down. Upset the World is the title of, this, of the message, Upset the World. But, but the subtitle for this particular message is How to Identify Upsetters. How to Identify Upsetters. All right, before I do anything else, I want to pray, and we're going straight into the message. Is that all right? Okay, about, oh, one more thing I need to say. This is very, very important. I need 10 volunteers, okay? 10 volunteers. <laughs> this dude raised his hand, and he doesn't even know what he's volunteering for yet. I love you, okay? I need 10 volunteers, uh, uh, and here's why I need you to volunteer. I uh, uh, was born and raised uh, in a Pentecostal church uh, where people holler back, okay? And uh, you may not have come from that environment, but I'm telling you, this message is going to be 10 times better if I hear somebody at least shout, amen, that was good, say that, preach, yes, sir, whatever, just throw something out there. Keep going, that's good, bounce your head. I need something. If y'all look at me for 40 minutes and golf clap, I will be heated with you. Okay? So... Please, holla. do I have 10 volunteers? If it's good, if it's not good, then don't say nothing. <laughs> I love you. It, if it's not good, then don't say nothing. But if it is good, just let me know. That just helps, okay? Good? Amen? Okay, great. Bow your heads, let's pray over the word before we get started, shall we? Holy Spirit, upset us. Amen. That's the whole, that's the whole prayer. I pray quick. I'm the one you want over for Thanksgiving dinner. You'll, you'll eat it while it's hot, okay? I want to give you the definition of what I feel like an upsetter is, okay? An upsetter is a person who has been upset and upsets others. It's that simple. A person who has been upset and upsets others. The entire book comes from uh, the thought that's captured in the book of Acts, chapter number 17, Verse number six, Paul and Silas have gone through uh, Amphipolis. They've gone through Apollonia. They've uh, preached through the region of Thessalonica. Thank you. And um, as a result, many people give their lives to Jesus Christ, but many more people are upset. As a matter of fact, this this, uh, mob forms and they riot in the streets and they make a statement that is altogether um, exaggerative and prophetic. And here's what they said. These men have caused trouble all over the world. They shouted. That's what it says in the scripture. And now they are here disturbing our city too. They made it all the way here. We heard about it over there, but they've made it here. And in the Greek, it literally means to turn over to turn upside down. These men have caused trouble all over the world. They've literally turned the whole world upside down. Now, it's exaggerative because at that time, the whole world was not turned upside down. But it was prophetic in that it would be that the gospel of Jesus Christ would literally go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And here it is 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about it. 2,000 years later, and we're still proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord, God raised him from the dead, 
He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And this is the message that I feel like anybody that's had an experience with God should be communicating. The kingdom of God is literally upside down. This is why I wrote the book. Because it's antithetical to all world cultures. We were born in sin, shaping in iniquity. We came out pointing down. And through a relationship with Jesus Christ, he turns us upside down so that we can reorient and be pointed up. And I want to know if you know how to identify someone that's been upset by Jesus. I think we should all know how to identify those that have been called by God to join in in helping to turn the world upside down. Matthew 28 is the Great Commission. It literally says to go and make disciples of all nations, or the way that I read it, read it go turn the world upside down. So I want to give you five points to this message, okay? I want you to write these down, get the scriptures, because I want you to know what it is to identify upsetters. Y'all ready? Are y'all ready, though? Point number one, please write this down. Upsetters love Jesus. This might be the most no-duh no moment in the entire message, but upsetters love Jesus. Here's what uh, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter number five, uh, I'm sorry, chapter number six, verse number 23 and 24. Uh, Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. By a show of hands, how many people would say they love Jesus? All right, put your hands down. By a show of hands, how many people would say that at least 10 people that you know would say you love Jesus. Put your hands down. How many people would say uh, that if you were talking to a stranger within 30 minutes, they would know that you love Jesus? Not as many hands, and that's okay. But I want you to know that when you love something, it's hard to keep that to yourself. When you love a person, it's hard to keep it to yourself. When you love a thing, it's hard to keep it to yourself. I'm married to the finest woman breathing on the planet, okay? My wife, Juliet, is uh, half Jamaican, half Bahamian, super fine, and all mine. <laughs> when her daddy met her mama, that collaboration blessed the entire earth. No one more than me. You can't talk to me for 15 minutes without me mentioning my wife. You also can't talk to me for any length of time without knowing that I love Jesus. You also can't talk to me for a long time without knowing that I love carrot cake. <laughs> Especially from a restaurant in Texas called Saltgrass. There's a revelation from whoever made that recipe, and I evangelize it everywhere I go, <laughs> which is why I made it into this sermon. It's hard to not talk about the stuff that you love, but we live 
against the backdrop of a culture right now that doesn't want to hear too much about people who love Jesus. Because by sheer virtue of saying his name, there's all kind of baggage and stereotypes and conjecture and, and, and all type of assumptions that go with the person that loves Jesus. But I'm telling you, you cannot be an upsetter unless your life has been upset first. I gave my life to Jesus Christ January 14th of 1996. I was sitting on the back row of my parents' church, and I was doing what I did every Sunday. I was laughing at the people that spoke in tongues. I was writing rap songs, and I was waiting for the service to be over so my friends could pick me up and we can go cruise Venice Beach and then hang out on Crenshaw Boulevard to about 2 a.m. That was Sunday for me. I was not saved. I was not interested. I just still lived in my parents' house, and I thought it was smart to just come to church on Sunday so I could keep on paying, uh, keep on living in a place without paying rent. On the back row of my parents' church on January 14th, 1996, with no sermon and no altar call, I gave my life to Jesus. My life was turned upside down on the back row in that little church, no more than 50 people in it, and 24 years later, I'm still not over that moment. 24 years later, I'm still upset. I love Jesus and I can't hide it and you can't be around me without knowing this. This is one of the ways that we identify people who are upsetters. Point number two, please write this down. Upsetters love people. I'm going to take my time on this one. Upsetters love people. Now, in the last two weeks, Prez has been uh, uh, talking about a house that's undivided. And last week, how many people uh, heard last week's message? You were either here in person or you heard it online. Uh, I came up in his message. We didn't plan it because I was coming this weekend. He, I guess he just... It, I just popped up in his message. And I was listening to the message for quality and uh, uh, assurance and integrity to the message. <laughs> I wanted to see if there was any part of the message that was embellished or was just exaggerated just a little bit. And I can tell you unequivocally, no, no. That's exactly the way it went down. I met this dude. I fell in love with that dude as soon as I met him. And I told him, and he was completely freaked out by it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's exactly what happened. And I had no problem telling him that I loved him, but as he said last week, he had a problem saying it back. I upset his world. I just told him how I felt because I love people. And not just people that look like me and talk like me and act like me and think like me. I love people because I've been commanded to love them by our chief apostle, Jesus Christ. So, so I want to read you something that's in the book of Matthew, chapter number five. Those letters are in red, so it's not a suggestion, okay? Here's what it says. Uh, uh, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, let me stop right there. 
I, I love when Jesus is a little bit snarky. I love when he's a little bit cheeky with his audience because he says something here that's very, very interesting. He says, you have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Uh, but, but here's what's interesting. The law never said to hate your enemy. And Jesus knew this. And this is why he had to expose the law that they had come up with. Here's the thing. It always talked about loving your neighbor. But through tradition, they started to add their own things around the commandment to try to protect it. I don't know if you've ever met people like this. I, I grew up in some, some, some legalistic environments in, in, in church where um, you were going to hell for everything. Right? If you watched TV, that was the one-eyed demon. If you watched baseball, you were going to hell. If you didn't have a beard, you were going to hell. If you didn't grow a beard, you were going to hell. If, if your dress wasn't to the, the, the floor, you were going to hell. If we could see your ankles, you might go to hell. Don't put on red lipstick. That's a demon. Now, I don't know how demons started possessing lipstick, but somehow, in some circles, mission accomplished. It was when we started putting our own tradition around the commandments that things became cumbersome. Here's what Jesus says. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies because I actually didn't tell you not to. Pray for those who persecute you in that way. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. Here's what he's saying. Here's how people are going to know that you're one of God's kids. You love everybody. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. Now, now, by a show of hands, how many people in here have a hard time loving everybody? I thank you for your honesty. It's absolutely refreshing. But the command of God is to love everybody. And if we don't love everybody, we can't upset everybody. And so this is the best practice you're ever going to get because I'm 45 years old. And I look 30, so let you, I'm going to just let you take that in real quick because I know you just shook. Amen. This melanin don't crack at all. So I just want, I want, you to, I want you to breathe in the fact that I'm, almost, I'm five years away from 50 years old and I look this good. I just want you to have a moment, okay? These jeans are impeccable. In the 45 years I've been alive, I've never seen a cultural climate that would allow us to practice Jesus' words like the climate we're in right now. Because the climate we're in right now gives you a whole lot to not love. The climate we're in right now gives you a whole lot of people not to love. Yet and still, God's message is love them anyway. That's how they're going to know that you're one of God's children. Tim, everybody? Yeah. Like even the person 
that disagree with my post on Facebook? Yeah. The person that's in my comment section on Instagram? Yeah. The person that flipped me off on the side of the road? Oh, God, yes. Oh, I had to pause on that one, but yeah. Them too. Why? Because they're not going to know that you're different if you respond to their hate with yours. They're going to know something's completely wrong with you when you respond to their hate with love. I remember being uh, um, a senior in high school, and Mr. Gorelick uh, was one of my teachers. Mr. Gorelick was a certified hippie, okay? He was a vegan. Uh, hair was in a ponytail, disheveled. Um, uh, I, I know for a fact he smoked weed. I, I, you can't tell me differently. The dude was just the chillest teacher we've ever had in our life. He had to be smoking mad blunts like every single day, <laughs> okay? There's 30 people that need mad blunts decoded. <laughs> Come holler at me at the service. So he thought it would be cool uh, to get some neo-Nazi skinheads and bring them to the school to have a debate with the people of color at our school. Blacks, Hispanics, and the Asians that were in our school. So these neo-Nazis show up being who they are neo-Nazis, okay? And they spewed all their hatred, and um, the, the black people that were in uh, my group and the Hispanics and the Asians were losing their minds. I mean, you saw veins in places I didn't know veins could pop out of, and there was all these shouting, and they're just going at each other like crazy, and I'm quiet, because I have a revelation they don't. So I'm just quiet, and they're, they're looking like, this guy hasn't said anything. And I've listened, I've just watched this tennis match of hate go back and forth. So then finally, Mr. Gorelick is like, Tim, wh what are you making of all this? And I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, you know, I've just been sitting here thinking. You know, um, I, know the, I know you guys are basically saying that there's one superior race and everybody else shouldn't even be here. I was like, but... It's just strange. I've just had this thought. I've always been this dude. <laughs> I was like, you know, my surname is Scottish. Just. Ross is Scottish. Like, there's nobody from Africa with the last name Ross. So I'm just thinking that one of my ancestors was white. And, and fell in love with a black woman, probably from Africa, and had some babies. And that's how we all got here. And, and it just so happened that one of the dudes that was the skinhead had a surname that was of Scottish descent. So I looked at him and said, I've been quiet this whole time because I was trying to figure out if we're cousins. You cannot make this up. You have never <laughs> seen more aggravation 
and bewilderment from neo-Nazi skinheads than when I made that statement. That was more offensive to him than any other thing I could have said was to say, we could be related. He was like, ah! But here's what I found out. I found out when you combat hate with love, love always wins. It, there's just nothing you can do with it. Here, here's, here's Bible. If some of you are like, oh, but it hurts, Tim. This verse hurts my soul because I love my hate. It's like a warm blanket on a cold day. If you need some help with this, uh, in the book of Proverbs, uh, the wise writer says this. Um, if your enemy's hungry, give him some food to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap hot coals upon his head, and the Lord will reward you. You want to know why I'm nice to people that are not nice to me? Uh, I, have, I have a very vivid imagination. Everything I hear, I can see. Everything I read, I can see. That's why when I read the Bible, it's more like watching the Bible. The characters just live in my head because they all come to life. And here's what I found out when I read that verse. Um, when I'm nice to somebody that's not nice to me, I burn their scalp. This is the vivid imagination that God has given me. So, so I can literally picture the third degree burns sizzling through hair and skin tissue. And, and it sounds painful, but then it says the Lord will reward you for such damage to the scalp. <laughs> How can that not be a win-win? Now, now, here's the biggest pushback from people. I don't know if I can love that person. It, uh, it's just too hard. Notice he said love and not like. If you need some help, you're supposed to love your neighbor. doesn't mean you have to like them. doesn't mean you have to like their behavior. doesn't mean you have to like their attitude. But it does mean we have to love them because he said so. Which brings me to point number three. Because if you thought you could do that by your own willpower or your own strength, you would be sadly mistaken. That's why point number three, upsetters are spirit-filled. Upsetters are spirit-filled. Preston had one of the most incredible one-liners last weekend that I've ever heard as it relates to believers and the Holy Spirit. He said one of... Satan's biggest attacks against people prior to salvation is them coming to Jesus. And one of the biggest attacks to believers after salvation is coming and opening up to the Holy Spirit. But listen, the acts that we talk about and read about, the full title of the book of Acts is not Acts. It's literally the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. These were ordinary men and women doing extraordinary things because the Holy Spirit was on the inside of them. So I want to give you the scripture. This is Ephesians chapter number five, verse number 18. It seems so elementary. Ephesians 5, 18 says this. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I told you everything I read, I see 
And the first time I read this, I was looking at Paul like he was crazy a little bit. I was like, buddy, you're like a Ph.D. lawyer. You're a Pharisee. You, you know the law. Out of all the things that you would use as a comparative analysis to God, the Holy Spirit, you chose wine? Really? Years ago, I was a young adult pastor in uh, Dallas, and I was doing a teaching on the Holy Spirit, and I got to the weekend where I wanted to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit and giving people an invitation to open up to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I had got all my notes together. I had sermon prepped. I had studied. And, and, and the night came for me to go down and preach this message. And right when I was about to get in the car, the Holy Spirit said, hey, Tim, um, that message is about to confuse everybody. I said, what? I said, I studied for this. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's too complicated. I want you to do something else. I was like, okay. He said, go to the liquor store and buy a bottle of vodka. Get thee behind me, Satan, <laughs> for you don't know the revelation that God has given. The scriptures are enough. He said, buddy, go get the bottle of vodka. I was like, I can't go get uh, vodka because I'm saved. He's like, Timmy, you have never been drunk in your life. This is not a temptation. Go get the bottle of vodka. And, he, and I was like, but what if somebody sees me? He said, shut up. Go get the bottle of vodka. So I go to this liquor store that's like 30 miles away from the church. I didn't go anywhere close to where the church was. 30 miles away from the church, I go get this bottle of vodka. I walk in, and I've never gone in the liquor store to buy liquor in my life up until this point. I walk into there like I know what I'm doing. I'm looking for vodka. I go to get the bottle of vodka, and I see the price, and I went, huh? People pay this much for this? And I grabbed it, and I went to the front, and uh, I, I had them put it in a brown paper bag because I had seen that in movies. And so um, they put it in the brown paper bag, and they twisted it up, and I went to the church, and, and the guy that comes to help me, uh, I said, here, hold this. I didn't even want to have it. I just gave it to him. And he was like, what is it? I said, do not open that bag until I tell you to. So we get to the service, and... Uh, I'm like, okay, I want to talk to you about getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And I get this bottle of vodka, and I put it on the podium. And I step to the side. And I said, because I'm so much drama. <laughs> there is no person in this room that can drink the entire bottle of this vodka and stay the same person. What's on the inside of this bottle is referred to as a spirit. And if you were to get filled with this spirit, it would change the way you walk, it would change the way you talk, and it would change the way you behave. I said there's literally no person that can drink this entire bottle of vodka and stay the same person. It would literally change you. I said this is why they measure it in small doses. By a show of hands, how many people in this room have ever been drunk? Refreshingly honest. I love you guys so much. By a show of hands, how many people in this room have been so drunk you can't remember the day? Refreshingly honest. Now, I want you to imagine 
on that best day or worst day of drinking, that you got filled with a spirit that made you out of control, not coherent, and not behave in the most appropriate manner. I want you to think about the genius of Paul. Paul goes, I've been around enough people who have gone past their limit with alcohol to know that this is a counterfeit of what the Holy Spirit would do in your life. That if you were to get filled with the Holy Spirit, he would change the way you walk, he would change the way you talk, and he would literally change the way that you behave. So don't take little shot glass sips of him because you want to stay in control. Be so filled with him that you're no longer in control, and he is. Upsetters are spirit-filled. I remember uh, that day that I, that, that I preached this to our young adults. There, there were six young adults that came from College Station, Texas, and they came up. They had never been to our church. They happened to come to church on the weekend. I'm talking about this, and they were all Methodists. I'm teaching about the Holy Spirit, and at the end I went, hey, the bartender serving drinks. That was my altar call. I was radical. The, bar the bartender serving drinks, anybody that wants to get filled, come down here right now. <laughs> About 250 people came down to the altar. 250 people got filled, including those six visitors that were there for the first time. And their biggest question was, how are we going to explain this when we get back to College Station? This wasn't about them losing control and having an emotional moment and running around acting crazy. This was about getting filled with a person so much that you say, I abdicate all control to you. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit is when you literally say, no more control of my life belongs to me, Lord. I give it to you. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? You love people. You don't even know why you love them. You can't even explain it to people. You're like, you love that person even though they did this to you? And you're like, yeah, no. That guy inside just, oh. Every time I want to slap him, I just go in and give him a hug. I don't even know how it happens. I go like this and then, <laughs> Point number four, please, do, please write this down. Point number four, upsetters do good. I want to redeem those two words, do good. Because for a very long time, uh, uh, believers were uh, uh, pinned as do-gooders, holy rollers. Y'all, you, you just think you do good all the time. I want to redeem that because Jesus did good. Here's what it says in Acts 10, verse number 38. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then, I love this, Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I'm going to read that again. Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. Against the backdrop, the cultural backdrop of the world we live in now, the most, one of the most upsetting things that you could do on a daily basis is just be nice to somebody. It will literally upset, that, upset their world. 
I, I, I went up to a cashier um, yesterday. I said, how are you? And they visibly did a double take. And I'm like, hey, you doing okay? They were like, yeah, I'm just not used to anyone asking me how I'm doing. That was very nice of you. I remember getting into uh, an Uber uh, when I had flown back to Dallas, and uh, the person who popped up, my Uber driver, his name was Bilal. So I said, hi, Bilal, thanks for picking me up, and I just reaffirmed my gate. So when the car came around, I jumped in the back, and he goes, there is something very different about you, my friend. I said, really? He goes, oh, oh yeah, man. Yeah. I, I knew as soon as you sent me that text, man, you, you are different. There's something about you that's different. I said, what? He said, there's never been anyone that's called me by my first name. They all say, pick me up. Nobody ever, you, you said Bilal. I just knew, well, this guy's different. The 35-minute drive home, I find out he's Muslim. He finds out I'm a believer in Jesus. And he goes, where's your church? I said, it's in Irving. He said, I'm going to give you my personal cell phone number. He said, if there's anyone that needs a ride to church, I will drive them to your church for free. All because I wrote, hi, Bilal. See, so you might think that you have to buy somebody a car, that you have to give somebody a house, but I'm telling you, no matter what socioeconomic level you might be at, you can upset someone's world today by just doing good. One of my favorite places to do good is the grocery store. It's my favorite place to do good. Because uh, I pay for my groceries. Boop, boop, boop. And if the Holy Spirit leads me to, I'll pay for the groceries and back me. What I've learned, though, with the Holy Spirit is he always picks big baskets. <laughs> it's never anybody that has 10 items or less. Like, that's not even the line they get in there. I'm, like, I'm always like, I look at somebody behind me. I'm like, oh, Jesus, please don't say. He's like, pay for the groceries. I'm like, really? <laughs> they have 80 pounds of dog food. What is happening here? Boop, boop, boop. Pay for the groceries. Pay for mine. And then... After they scan theirs, I've mastered the technique. I've timed it to the point where I can just take one step back, slide in the cart, and then look at them. <laughs> it's the most uncomfortable, awkward look you've ever been given in your life when someone pays for your groceries and just stares at you. They usually say, oh, my God, what are you doing? I just wanted to be a blessing to you today. Oh, oh, thank you. That's, that's so nice. And because there's, there's so little random acts of genuine kindness in the world, there's literally two or three minutes where they're trying to process what is the catch. They're like looking around like, is there a camera or is there a, what's the hook? And I'm like, no hook. I didn't invite them to church. I didn't even tell them I was a believer because I'm sowing seeds and I'm watering. Because at some point, God's going to want to bring that person back into the family and I want them to have at, I want them to have met enough do-gooders that when it's time for them to come to Jesus, they go, you know what? There was that one dude. He had to be a Christian because he paid for 80 pounds of dog food. And he didn't even know me. 
and there had to be this person, and, and, and then God adds it up because we are doing good. I, I want you to see the order because when, when, we, when, we, when we see Acts 10, 38, I want you to see the sequence. He did good and healed all those that were oppressed by demons. We, we talk about the miraculous things that Jesus has done, but we don't talk enough about just the cool good stuff that he did. You know, the first miracle that Jesus did is not opening up blind eyes. It wasn't opening up deaf ears. It wasn't healing a leper's skin. It wasn't making a lame, lame man walk. It was not resurrecting someone from the dead. His first miracle of all time was turning water into wine at a wedding. That's just nice. I don't know about you, but if you had a wedding and your best wine was gone in an hour and you had all the cheap wine left and somebody just took your water pots filled them up with water, and then just did whatever Jesus does to it, and it was better than the first bottles you opened, wouldn't you just say, you're just nice. You're such a kind man, Jesus. Thank you so much. He gives us opportunities to do this over and over again. Uh, I was in California one time uh, paying for somebody's groceries. I felt led to do it uh, in a wealthy, affluent neighborhood. And I found out that, that, that wealthy people have the hardest time receiving. Because God's blessed them with immense wealth and they have the opportunity to be a blessing to so many other people, when you try to bless them, they're, they're almost defensive. Like, oh, I got this. And you're like in an arm wrestling match with them. Like, no, I want it to be a blessing today. It's just a burger. I got this. <laughs> so I pay for my groceries and then the lady behind me, and I love doing it. I get excited every time. My heart beats a little bit faster. And I, and I leaned over and, and boop, 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 boop. And then I did the whole thing. Boop. She looked at me and she said, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, mm -mm, that's not usually the reaction I'm used to when I do good. And I said, I just wanted to bless you today. And she goes, well, I didn't need you to do that. I was like, oh, okay. I said, um, are we going to argue about the fact that I just brought your groceries? Like, for real? This is about to be an argument? And she goes, well, thank you. I got my stuff and I walked outside and I looked up to heaven and I said, Jesus, I didn't like that. <laughs> I was just a real moment. Like, you need to find me some other people to bless. You need to screen, to screen these people before you. I need somebody that's about this life. I don't want nobody looking at me crazy when I try to bless I said, I didn't like the way that felt. I just tried to be a blessing to this person, and this is the way they responded. And I felt like Jesus' response was, it's like, almost like he scooted to the end uh, of his seat that's right next to his dad and, and just kind of peeked over the balcony of heaven and said, Tim, now you know how I feel. And I was like, okay. You didn't do it because they would do it back. You did it out of love. And that's why we do good. Point number five, and then we're done. Upsetters love life. Upsetters love life. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter number five, verse number two. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma 
to God. That first sentence is big. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So here's a question I want to ask uh, in context to this particular sentence, and I hope it lands on you appropriately. How's your love life? If we're supposed to be living a life filled with love, are you loving the life you have? Let me tell you something. Love is contagious. And when you can find people that are in love with their life despite the circumstances, despite the odds, despite the issues they might be going through in life, that's when people start gravitating to you because they start going, there is zero way you should be this happy. There's absolutely zero way you should have that much of a smile on your face. And it's not that you ignore the reality of your present. It just pales in comparison to the experience you're having with Jesus and the life that you're living with him. I love my life a life that was changed in its trajectory by being sexually assaulted and abused at the age of eight years old. That was bound by pornography at the age of 12. That, that was traumatized by the environment because I lived in a gang-infested neighborhood. I had guns pointed at my face. None of that was more traumatizing or upsetting than the day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ and the life that I've been living for him, with him, ever since. I love my life. Painful things have happened, but they happened, past tense. The love I have is because of who's in my life, present tense. So how's your life? Could you lay out every aspect of it and truly say, there is more to love about my life than to hate? Listen, we're in a season right now where there's never been a greater time to practice the principle of that verse. Live a life filled with love in a culture that gives you so much to hate? You, you want me to love my life against the backdrop of so many things that I despise and hate right now? Absolutely. Because I want you to be focused on the right thing. There was a man that came up to me after the 9 a.m. service and he said, hey man, I'm trying to do what you say, but there's some stuff on the news right now that's got me so riled up. Me and my friends are ready to go out and do some stuff. He said, he said how, do you, how, how, how do you get over that? I said, you need to turn off the TV. And you need to get filled up with the Spirit. Because if you're not filled up, you leave pockets in your life where the enemy will come fill it with his stuff. 
the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not meant to make you crazy. It's meant to make you radically different in the way that you see, say, sound, and respond. So I want everybody to do like this. Come on, just do it. I'm leaving today. I won't be here next week. It's almost over. Just want you to do this. Do it again. Do it again. Now, if you did this in basketball, it would be a double dribble. So I'm not asking you to do this for all the ballers out there that are like, I, I wasn't trained to do this. I want you to live your life upset. I want you to ask God to show you things to turn over. And I want you to spend the rest of your life looking for opportunities to upset others. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let me pray for you. God, I'm so grateful for this time I've had with my brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters. And I ask in Jesus' name that you would take the principles that were outlined in this message. And it wouldn't be something that sounds nice, but it would be something that is transformational. Upset our world. Fill us up with your spirit. Give us the capacity to love those who are unlovable. To do good to those around us. And to love the life you gave us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.